Have you ever allowed your imagination to run wild about the world of work? To wonder what would happen if we tore up all the rules and started again? Welcome to What If, a podcast from the CIPD's work magazine that dares to ask the previously unthinkable. I'm Katie Jacobs, and in the latest of our series, I'm asking our guests to examine the concept of hierarchy. Ever since the first formal workplaces were organised, they have largely relied on the idea that power flows down the chain of command. Decisions are made by those at the top, disseminated by managers and carried out by the majority. But the concept of hierarchy can be an unpopular one. Very few people would be comfortable with the notion that they don't have autonomy to direct their own workload or make their own decisions. An influential report into Gen Z workers by Deloitte names hierarchy as one of the aspects of work that younger employees struggle with the most. Meanwhile, the coronavirus pandemic has made millions of people get used to working when and how they want, perhaps for the first time. So what if we actually did away with hierarchy? Would the result be anarchy or the freedom to unleash innovation? And does the idea of a flatter structure work as well in the military or the emergency services as it might in a creative agency or tech firm? To ponder these questions, I'm welcoming two guests with very different experiences and takes on the topic. Rob Pierre is the co-founder and CEO of digital marketing firm Jellyfish, which proudly boasts it has a flat structure and no formal hierarchy. Meanwhile, philosopher and author Julian Bugini suggests we've forgotten why we have hierarchy in the first place. I started by asking Julian to define hierarchy and where the idea comes from. I mean, the Enlightenment really was the beginning of the idea of the equal rights of all people. And of course, it took a very, very long time for that abstract idea to actually sort of work its way through. So all the time people were arguing for the equal rights of all people. Some of them were still having slaves. They were certainly having servants. Women weren't getting the vote, etc., etc. But once that idea sort of came out of the, the bottle, as it were, it's taken its time to sort of work through and I think, you know, in the late 20th century, early 21st century, it kind of reached the point where it was kind of taboo almost to sort of elevate anybody above anybody else for any kind of reason. Um, so I think it, it, it comes from that sort of very laudable idea that there's a kind of equality of respect and equality of value. But, of course, that doesn't mean there's equality of expertise or equality of knowledge at all. And so I think the, the problem is that we become rather uncomfortable to situations where we just say, look, this person is in a higher position than you, has a higher status than you, because it clashes with the more general ethos that we're all supposed to be of equal value. And of course, these things aren't in, in conflict. I think philosophically, they're not. To say one has equal value is not to say everyone has the same expertise, the same authority and so forth. Um, but I think in the sort of popular imagination, these things become blurred and people just don't like the idea that there are people above them in any respect. I mean, I think in society, it's true, there is, there is a increasing distrust of, you know, elites, authorities, experts. And, you know, a lot of that is, is well motivated. <laughs> a lot of elites have let people down. A lot of authorities have shown themselves to be somewhat hollow and empty. So it's not like this is completely ridiculous. There really is something to it. Um, but it comes back to the old sort of baby and bathwater um, dilemma. Um, and I think that if you sort of just sort of imagine that, you know, I mean, let's take, an, let's take an example of 
the need for apprenticeship, if you like. I think there's a sort of an impatience sometimes that because people don't believe in hierarchy, um, they don't, don't appreciate the extent to which to get good at anything requires time and practice. I think it's really interesting in the sort of sort of Japanese traditions, for example. If you look at, <laughs> there's a fantastic documentary uh, I, I highly recommend called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. It's about this sort of top Michelin star sushi chef who's got this. Uh, tiny little restaurant. And, um, you know, if you become an apprentice there, there's one guy who spent, I think, about two years simply working on what they call the the egg sushi as a kind of an omelette. It's actually one of these things which is really, really simple, but actually really, really difficult to get right. You know, two years just doing that, (laughs) making it every single day. But, you know, that's what a kind of respect for the craft or the cook requires. It's a respect that you're not, you will never become Jiro unless you go through this process. And I think that one of the sort of problems with the the, um, contemporary dislike of, of hierarchy is that it also tends to make people encourages the idea that you know you don't need to go through this this all these hoops. But while it's true we can all think of settings where hierarchy can be crucial, it's also obvious that an entire generation of businesses has developed with a very different attitude to power. Facebook, Google, and other Silicon Valley firms make a virtue of the fact they distribute authority far and wide. Spotify has pioneered a lattice system of management, which means almost everyone manages someone else. And at Jellyfish, Rob Pierre also rejects the traditional idea of hierarchy, as he explains. I use the analogy of we're trying to build a vector image and not a JPEG. And by that, I mean a vector image is one of those file formats that you can blow up to the side of a building and it maintains its integrity and quality. A JPEG is pixelated And therefore, the more you stretch it and the bigger it gets, it will become more and more pixelated and it loses its integrity and its quality. And um, I felt that the hierarchy system is very constraining. And and I think I'm I'm finding more and more I've got to differentiate between um, a hierarchy and a pyramid system. It's not that we're looking to create a flat structure. We still, people have career stages You could be different grades and be different job titles and career stage. It just doesn't lead to one person who's the head of. So as an example, you can enter our business as an executive and then you can become a manager, then a senior manager, then a director, then a VP, an executive VP, and then a chief solutions officer. But your path is yours. There is no, you don't have to displace somebody to progress you can just continue to demonstrate that you're adding value and that you have the requisite skills, um, whether that's soft skills or technical skills, you have the right leadership ability because we still have leaders. We don't have line managers, but we have leaders in the business. And um, and so it was fraught with issues, the, the hierarchy system. One is that people felt the, the, the communication chain was just inefficient because everything laddered up to one person who technically was taking accountability for everything. So ultimately, if I'm the head of analytics globally, I take all the all the credit for the good stuff. I, I get the blame for all the bad stuff. Whereas actually we, we kind of ban delegation as a concept. And um, within Jellyfish, we distribute accountability. 
And it's a very different thing. So if somebody's more appropriate to take on a task or to take ownership of a project or a particular initiative, we let that person take accountability and it's distributed. It sort of liberates everybody from feeling they have to be involved in every conversation, doubling up on communication, the, 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 the whole sort of telephone syndrome where by the time the third person relays a message, it's completely lost its integrity. All of that we've managed to sort of start to eradicate from the business. If Rob Pierre is an evangelist for distributed decision-making and accountability, it's fair to say Julian Bugini believes we should be a lot more cautious about doing away with the pyramid structure of management. And he points out that there are some workplaces where rigid notions of hierarchy can be the difference between life and death. So, for example, I would be very, very surprised if in the medical profession, for example, there's much of uh, dissatisfaction with hierarchy per se. Yeah, people will recognise that the senior consultants, the experienced surgeons, have a kind of an authority and a role which puts them above the juniors and certainly puts them above the trainees. You know, if you think you're against hierarchy, then next time you're in hospital, just say, I don't mind if it's the most experienced person in the room or, or, or you know, uh, the nurse who just wants to have a go at some uh, some open heart surgery. I mean, no one would do that. So we don't we don't believe in these things. So in, in a situation like that, it's very very obvious why the hierarchy exists and people accept it. I think in a lot of other companies, uh, uh, sort of workplaces, I think part of the problem is that is is not as clear what it is that really gives these people a greater authority, other than the fact they've been around longer. Um, and, you know, sometimes managers don't really use their authority very well or very wisely. Sometimes they are just sort of arrogant and they like they like being the boss. And they like to to push people around. I think that's where it's sort of like the, you know, authority is an interesting word because, you know, true authority you gain from having capacities and abilities which people recognize. And that authority is kind of earned. And sometimes people don't sort of forget that and think they have an authority simply in virtue of their position and they start to wield it and then people end up kind of resenting resenting that. So I think that's one of the reasons why it becomes a little bit problematic in, in some workplaces. It's just not obvious why these people have got the authority when they don't seem to know as much as other people. So for example, if you take an industry like, like advertising, I think some of the older people in that profession can be seen as like dinosaurs by the young ones. They don't really understand how new media works. You know, they, they grew up selling, you know, uh, space on, on, on tabloid newspaper sheets and broad sheets and pages and stuff, and, and they haven't really got their heads around uh, new media. And so, again, you've got a situation there by, by the younger people might justifiably think, well, look, we actually get this more than you, and yet somehow I'm supposed to defer to you, and, and they don't get that. And I think it's just something I know a little bit more about than others, but I'm sure there are lots of industries where that's true. It's changing so fast that it's not obvious that 30 years of expertise actually gives you an edge over someone who's more of a digital native, for example, and is more at home in that kind of environment. You know, you can you know you can you know have an organisation where you take a vote on everything. I mean, you could you could do that. You really could do that, but I don't think that's very wise, really, because you know. It, it's a bit like, a, think about how a good democracy works. Democracy works not because every time we make a decision, we give everyone a vote on it. What happens, democracy works when you elect people to represent you who, 
you express your preferences and your desires to them and you express dissatisfaction if they do a good job. But then actual day-to-day decision-making is is down to them because they, they go away, they put all the pieces together and do it. So it's sort of more democratic um, companies and organisations. It's more like that model. It's, again, making sure people have a say, they have an input, but not that they are the ones ultimately uh, making the decisions. And again, I think that if you kind of, given the fact that it's inevitable that um, someone is going to make a decision, it is going to be like that, when you pretend otherwise, it just just grates, I think, on people. You know, it really does, does great on them. Um, and I, th- I think that, you know, you always, the parody is the sort of David Brent type example, really, the person who just thinks they're everybody's mate, but is actually the boss making the decisions, you know. Rob Pierre certainly doesn't seem to have much in common with David Brent but it is worth drilling down into how his flat structures actually perform in practice. How do people progress at Jellyfish if there's no hierarchy? And does Julian agree that management structures not only stifle the progress of talented junior people, but entrench problems with diversity and inclusion? First, Rob. What I'm finding is that a lot of individuals have become senior simply because they manage teams. They're less connected to the actual skill set and capability that made them senior in the first place. So you might be analytics or let's say you're a programmatic display expert. And as you've um, progressed in other organizations, you literally are just managing a team. And that's what makes you perceived or, or that's what that's why you're perceived as senior within those organizations. You can't really do any billable activities. You're not close to the technology. And um, and then you come to our organization and because you're in a support network, it's not a line manager role. You're able to be, let's say 50% billable and working on clients and staying close to your expertise and the industry and the needs of the client. I think people that then come in that senior role that haven't been doing that for a period of time, they do struggle. And we end up finding that it it doesn't work. And so another byproduct of that, a positive byproduct, is that we are becoming more and more a promote internally and give people opportunities within our organization because we don't find that always bringing external people in at senior um, positions has the desired um, outcome. I would say most 95% of people who join are joining because of the structure and are attracted to how we work and therefore embrace it and um, and uh, yeah, uh, thrive within that environment. The ones that don't, the ones that think they could still come in and still be political and try and progress in um without actually having that value add, they're the ones that, that will struggle. And if, if you don't embrace it and you don't realise that it's about empowering others and it, you don't want to take claim for other people's achievements, etc., that's not how you add value. If you, if you don't embrace that, yeah, you can't survive. There's nothing inherently exclusory about hierarchy. I think the things that are exclusory about it are are more subtle. There are certain kind of conventions and practices that people follow, which can lead for that to be the case. So a typical thing, for example, will be a length of service kind of hierarchy. So actually, this is just something that came up today in terms of the military. The military tends to be quite sort of 
strict about this kind of thing. You know, you, you, length of service is a real key uh, factor for promotion. And they're trying to get more women into the army, armed forces, but women, a lot of women take time off for maternity and that reduces their service length as compared to their male competitors, as it were, and they don't get the promotion. So there are things like that where people have to kind of really work out, well, you know, are there kind of these hidden uh, factors? Uh, there's also the more controversial area, I think, of implicit bias. I think people have very, very, very different views on this. A lot, a lot of organisations have done sort of training in implicit bias, you know, being the idea that even though, you know, you may yourself, for example, be a woman, and yet that doesn't mean you're free of the stereotypes, which might make you judge a woman more harshly than you would a man, make certain assumptions about their abilities and so forth. And so people have to be taught about this so they can try to overcome them. Now, this is a really sort of messy debate because I'm sure implicit bias is real. Um, it's how you overcome it and whether the kind of training people get is best or not, I, I, I really don't know. But that's, that's, a, that's an issue where, um, you know, it, it can be the case that the hierarchical structures can end up reinforcing those prejudices. But it's not, in, it's not inevitable. And if you think certain hierarchical structures are, are necessary, ultimately the only way to sort of square those things is simply to make sure that there is appropriate diversity at all, at all levels. You might think jellyfish sounds like a utopian workplace, or maybe the stuff of nightmares. But as Rob explains, he believes it appeals to the type of employee who is more motivated by continuous development than by status. I asked him to explain how it meets their needs and challenge Julian to explain why he feels flat structures don't work for most people. I think attracting talent and people seeing that there's a structure that they just have to improve and demonstrate value on what they were providing yesterday, it's not about anyone else, then that we're bringing in some really great people. It also <laughs> means that we can have several people at the top of their game. Because you know everybody in other organisations wants to be the head role. You know I've got to be the head of. I'm currently the head of. I need to be the head of. Whereas now you could be one of many. And I and I say to everyone, it's not it's not like a limited print. If you're another VP of a particular um, skill set, it just because there's more than one of you doesn't devalue you in in our organisation. And um, that's allowing us to to have many more. At playing at the top of their game, which is also then man manifests itself in uh, um, better delivery, more innovation, better quality, um, people helping each other and the, the sort of cross-pollination of uh, ideas and skills. So it's thriving this environment where everybody wants to help each other and they're not threatened by each other. So that means that we deliver a much better output for our clients. Um, what else is it? it? I mean, the within the system, because you take ownership and you've got a support network, you to, to get promoted and to progress, you submit your own business case. And anybody's able to submit that business case. It's a very structured form. We're just asking for what were the outcomes, what were the evidence-based outcomes that you believe were over and above the role you've got today that warrants a pay rise? whether that's a grade or a title. The title um, increase will mean that your responsibilities change slightly, but a grade increase just means you're being acknowledged for adding more value in the role you're doing today. So um, what that means is that if you're submitting a business case 
and uh, you're using your support network to compile it, but ultimately that business case goes to a panel. And the best part of it is that because it's evidence-based and it's all um, about um, outcomes, it's anonymized. So in actual fact, by the time it gets to the panel, the decision is being made on whether you should be promoted. You could be black, white, male, female, straight, gay, 21 years old, 55 years old, instead of actually trying to train people and make sure that you haven't got that unconscious bias. Also, what it means is that people take accountability and, and the mindset across our business is that you sit back and think, what value am I adding? It's not entitlement. The problem, it, it's not time served and I'm just, I've been here long enough or, or that person got promoted so I should completely arbitrarily thinking that you should be progressing. It's about everybody. All 2,200 people are constantly thinking, when I get up, what am I doing on a day-to-day -day basis? Is that adding value? And what have the outcomes been from that value add? And it means that everybody's focusing and uh, um, it's just created a culture of achievement and um, and genuine value exchange. And I think that's uh, um, been a real plus. And again, that manifests itself in in better output for our clients every time. When responsibility becomes sort of like spread very thin, it tends to disappear. So I think I think you know if you ask what what do people really want from this so-called um, flat structure, and I think what perhaps they really want are specific things which can be gained without flatness. So for example, I think they want all the people in the company to feel like they have agency and a voice. Okay, I think that is important. There's a lot of research which suggests that people are happier, they work better when they feel they have um, you know, agency and they have a say and they have a voice. Well, there are lots of ways to do that without the organization being flat. But it's also certainly true that if you have an organization which gives people agency and voice, it's going to feel a lot flatter than the traditional one where people are simply done doing what they're told. So I think, you know, forget, you know, flat or vertical, whatever it might be. Just think about what, what is it we want to really achieve by this and then think about how to do that rather than just sort of announce, announce it's flat. And, <laughs> and which is to say it doesn't work anyway because someone's ultimately got to take the responsibility, the decision, don't they? That, that's what it boils down to. So there you have it. Hierarchy deserves to be challenged. But we should also remember it didn't appear by accident. And in many circumstances, a structure to how and why we work is what makes employment meaningful. Thanks for joining us. Here's Rob with the last word. I think managers feel like they, they have to always give direction and take ownership over people's um, careers and direction when they're not necessarily the most appropriate person to do that. I would also say that uh, in, in the line managers, you're doing tasks that I don't think even make sense for you to do. So as a line manager, you end up signing off expenses and you're the one that has to do, like I said, that annual review. Um, as a manager, you are applying resource, you make decisions on, on um, which project somebody works on, how good they are. You've got a subjective view on how good they are. I just think that side of it is broken. As a leader, you quite simply, it's uh, my, my definition is you need to be an expert and be an inspiration and to be a, a motivational figure, to be a support, to be able to spot and guide somebody if they if, if you see that there's opportunities. I think leaders 
can then have a wider impact on more people. That's what we're looking for. I think a management structure and and a traditional pyramid and hierarchy means that you have less impact across a broader broader subjects or or broader areas of of people's work. But what I would like to do is find out what your superpower is and make sure that you can impact more people with that superpower. You have been listening to the What If podcast, brought to you by the CIPD's Work magazine. To find out more about how the CIPD is dedicated to better work and working lives, visit cipd.co.uk. And don't forget to check out the rest of the What If series from your podcast provider or the peoplemanagement.co.uk website. 